Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Wallen. My guest today is Pepe Schuler, Master of Wine. Welcome. Hi. Nice to be with you guys. Yeah, nice to have you uh, here. So um, you're a master of wine and um, you keep things simple by going by the name of Pepe for short among friends. Where does that nickname come from? Well, that's an easy one. Um, you guys know your Jose's from Spain. They call them Pepe. Of course, in Italy, they Giuseppe. And in Austria, the Josephs go as Pepe or Sep. So... Those are the two short forms for Joseph in the Austrian, so to say. Okay. But um, where were you born? Were you born in Austria? Yeah, yeah. I was born here in Burgenland. So there's most of the eastern province in Austria, right next to the Hungarian border, in a sort of neighborhood of Croatian villages. Like 500 years ago, people moved up from what's nowadays Croatia and settled here around this uh, border of Hungary and Austria. And yeah, so actually, this is the place where I live, where I work, and where I spent the last 30 years. Do you, do you think having that sort of background, living in an area that is obviously now, it's, as you said, it's Austrian uh, and also historically create, uh, Croatian, did, does that sort of inform your very internationalist outlook in your work, or was that just a, a coincidence? Uh, I think I've learned uh, over the years that there is something, of course, in it, um, in the way you grow up. If you grew up uh, with uh, uh, different languages and sort of, you know, also here, right next to the Iron Curtain uh, in the Hungarian neighborhood, uh, sort of, uh, you know, in the middle of Europe with so many uh, cultures uh, and nationalities and languages. And in a way, I think, of course, it does influence the way you, you you just, uh, you know, think and, and, and see the world and see things. Were your family um, farmers, wine growers? Were they working in an office? What's the background? Well, um, in those days, when I was young, so more than 50 years ago, more or less everybody here in this area, uh, sort of countryside, had a small vineyard. So my family had a small vineyard as well. And we used to work this vineyard. My, my grandmother used to work until May, just before she died, you know, all by hand for family consumption, for also what we call in Austria a heiriger, like those wine inns um, that you find in the wine grower's place where you can sell the wine by the glass and have sort of food from home production. So we had also something like this, but actually... For main jobs, my parents had a different profession, so they were not wine farmers by profession, so to say. What did your parents do out of interest? Oh, well, just uh, clerks in, in the nearby Eisenstadt, which is our capital of Burgenland, the smallest capital in Austria, only 10,000 inhabitants. It's all very small here in this Burgenland province. Everybody knows everybody, and um, so, yeah, it's all very, very... I would say, private kind of things here. So um, you ended up getting a PhD. How did you make the link from um, a small village ending up getting a PhD and a Fulbright scholarship with uh, 
the Mondavi winery in Napa. That's a huge leap. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and and this goes back long, long time ago, <laughs> like in the 70s and 80s of the last century. Well, I just um, continued after school to study economics at the um, University of Vienna. And it was the time, and of course, with this sort of indicated this little bit wine mini background I had from the small vineyard at home and doing my own things. I, 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 you know, I enjoyed doing that much more and actually financed my studies in Vienna by selling wine in Germany, like on fairs, so like real hard selling, and got more and more attracted to wine. And when I finished my studies um, in Vienna, it was 1984-85, and um, there was something that the wine world still knows today as the so-called Austrian wine scandal. Maybe we come back to this later on. Um, and that triggered also the idea of writing a, a, like a thesis uh, for a PhD. And that led me actually to South Africa because I was writing on a topic where South Africa was one of the yeah, world leaders in this particular field. It was in alternative wine packagings. And uh, so I ended up in Stellenbosch University doing my PhD in Stellenbosch, doing research there. Um, you know, the wine world is a small one, as we say. You have your ties, you have your connections. And we had this connection also from Stellenbosch University to, to, to Berkeley University. And so that's so the background where I ended up um, getting the Fulbright bursary, meeting people of Mondavi. They had a problem in packaging. And so I ended up on a project with them after my two years in South Africa, in California. So, yeah, many of those coincidences that uh, we see in life. So when you say a problem with packaging, what do you actually mean? No, actually, it was more with uh, design. It was in those, those days when, I mean, Robert Mondavi was still this center of excellence with, with Bob running around and already quite in this... What, what is it, late 70s or so, but full of energy and all great people there and a lot of spirit and just excitement. And uh, so it was really the place to be. And it was, again, as I said, one of these coincidences. I met a Mondavi guy in South Africa, and he knew that I was involved in, in sort of research in packaging. And he said, well, we have a packaging problem at Mondavi. And this was that you guys may, be rem may remember the old Mondavi label with the arch and dome uh, very prominently on the label. And market research told them in the 80s that this doesn't really reflect the quality of the wine inside, that what the consumer thought. So this was actually my task to come up with proposals uh, how to, you know, maybe help to correct this. So this was my little project with them in the, what was it, 1988 or so. So what was your solution then? Did you redesign the label yourself or did you get a designer in to do with it? How did you turn it around? Well, I, you know, this would, of course, go much too deep into, into, into the subject and topics. But in that, at that stage, um, Mondavi already had, of course, the big Woodbridge brand, sort of the cash cow of the company. And I thought that the Arch and Dome logo got somehow too much neglected, so reinforced ways and, and means how this should be better incorporated and be sort of still the leading logo. And then it only went on in discussing and marketing uh, boards and, and designers. So I was just sort of on the initial level and 
trying to analyze the market data and, and trying to come up with uh, ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's a very iconic label, for sure. I remember you, I used to sell the Mondavi wines in London, and it, the sort of upgraded label, I guess, was the one that I was looking at when I was uh, selling the wine. If I remember, it was just a sort of a, a silhouette of the, uh, of the winery, which was very evocative, actually, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, now you work for the Austrian Wine Academy. Can you just say that in Austrian for me? Uh, the Wein Akademie Österreich. So what courses of study do you offer and who are your main, uh, where, do your, where do your students come from? What demographic? Let me maybe, as you asked, also a little bit into my biography, maybe link this, what I am doing now to this past. Because when I was working in Stellenbosch, I met the Cape Wine Academy like in the mid-80s, which was a very active educational national institution, uh, something similar to WSET and for, for UK at those days. And when I moved on to Mondavia, I had my, my desk was actually right next to the uh, like education department at, at Mondavia Winery. And uh, so these guys were just there for education, not promotion, just educating the market, educating the trade. So I had a strong um, experience how powerful a wine education could be, also in terms of marketing. So I was actually called back from Mondavi, um, got a phone call from Austria, then late in 88, where I was interested to set up something like a wine center, wine academy in Austria. So, um, and I agreed that I want to try it, and I came back. So... What I meant that those things uh, strongly influenced the, the way I, yeah, I tried to set up this academy and sort of structure it and very strongly London linked. So one of my first trips after one month in the job was to talk to WSET in London, to visit Master of Wine, then to, you know, like just try also to connect to the leading education and wine institution so that we set up something here in Austria, which is not a very, not just of local uh, significance, but hopefully at one stage also growing into something that reaches out further than the region or Austria or, you know, into international uh, world of wine. So um, from the beginning, we, we, we offered courses like, of course, the ABC of wine in general, on my knowledge, for the public audience, you know, for the general public. And in those days, also the wineries were very small scale. There was no international experience. People spoke no languages in those days. So the only country we sold wine to was Germany. So we had the German tourists coming here. The same language was easy. And uh, so we also offered courses for wine producers, like marketing workshops, etc. So a little bit of everything, more or less, you know. And aside of that, and that was my statement before, I tried to set up and launch also a, like a high-profile, internationally recognized qualification that should, at the end of it, that you know, international experts should be graduates who, of course, know a lot about Austrian wine, but also about the international wine world. So. Therefore, we started in the early 90s already, I think, as the first country outside of, of the UK with uh, WSET diploma courses here in Austria in German language to cover this sort of ambition as well. So we have actually a majority of people who attend nowadays Wine Academy, and it's usually 15,000 uh, students uh, annually. They come here to learn about basics, the ABC of wine, 
on a, on a sort of lower level on Austrian wine, and then it gradually you work your way up into international world of wine and then into WCT diploma program, respectively an equivalent of that uh, in German language that we introduced a few years ago. Are there any aspects of, of the teaching program that students tend to find particularly difficult um, or not? Um, of course, in the like uh, top end of the pyramid, talking now WSET diploma, I think those people who know about this program would agree that it's uh, not an easy task. And of course, it's a slightly different way of, of, of thinking. There is a certain Britishness in the approach. Uh, and of course, uh, students have to learn this as well, to follow this, and, and this is for the Austrian audience, but also for international students who, who study here with us at the academy. Probably this is uh, like essay writing, you know, also something that we struggled when we were doing our, our Master of Wine to work on the essay formats, on the, on the technique of essay writing. This is something we are not so good in doing it. Really, that's interesting. I mean, are you saying that, you know, a multiple choice exam, obviously some people will say that's easier because, you know, you can stick your finger on one of the three options and you've got a good chance of getting it right. So you think this idea that people have to actually write and really think about um, answers to questions that they're being asked is really, really important. Is that because you think professionally it, it makes them get used to explaining difficult concepts in wine in an easily understandable fashion? Yes, this is correct. This is correct. I think this is the benefit of the whole thing, you know. But on the other hand, I was always um, a promoter of, like, uh, the fact that probably 95% of communication about wine, well, nowadays it's less and less, but is like uh, face-to-face, so like talking to each other. And all these exams are written exams where you, of course, if you have your university degree, if you have trained doing this, uh, you know, in your in your courses uh, at university, you're good in it. If you're a, a wine grower, if you're a sommelier, you might know everything about Vitivini, you might know everything about the wines of the world. But when you sit down and you are asked a question to discuss a certain aspect of this uh, in writing, this uh, then becomes more difficult. So this is probably another facet, as, as also all our exams, with the exception of our final oral defense of a thesis, they are also in, in writing. And we see that many people have a lot of knowledge, but they struggle in really putting it on paper. Yeah, okay. So but you obviously didn't struggle with that aspect when you were studying the Master of Wine, because there were a lot of essays involved, as well as a dissertation. Obviously, being a teacher, you, you kind of have your, your own way of doing things. But when you were doing it yourself for your Master of Wine, how did you structure uh, your answers, either in the exam or uh, with your dissertation? What kind of thought process did you go when you saw a question you think what's your plan to answer it what i had to learn in a way and just to give you an example i wrote my thesis in south africa my phd thesis on packaging and i remember the exam in london i said first time and there was a packaging question and uh, so i was just smiling and i thought now i'm going to show the guys how clever i am you know and wrote everything I knew. I thought, well, this is not brilliant. It was not brilliant. Uh, I failed on this question because I didn't answer the question properly as said. 
So I think um, a step back, kind of modesty. Many many MWs would also say that's a school of modesty in a way in, in trying to get this. And if you look to some of our greatest, uh, you know, celebrated uh, MWs and Jancis and others, they're all very modest, very nice people. So to learn modesty and take it then from there and be balanced, try to see both sides of an argument. And this is, I think, the strength of such an approach, as I was describing already before, not to be too opinionated, but really discuss um, a subject from various angles. So in, in, the, in the school, there are, there are sort of research papers that you ask the students to do. How many uh, or how often do your students take a topic that is Italian-related rather than just, say, Austrian-related? So uh, sort of at the end of our qualification kind of seminars, you know, this, uh, say, WCT diploma, and um, and all the Austrian equivalent of this, we ask the students to write a research paper on the topic of their choice. And so they are very free to choose more or less any kind of subject on the field of uh, from the field of, of, of wine and spirits, also on literature, on, on, on philosophy, on whatever practical technical aspects. But of course, usually it's a very much sort of topics focused around uh, wine styles, grape varieties, regions. And I must tell you, in recent years, we had a lot, we had a lot of topics on Italy because, yeah, exciting things are going on. Things are changing in the areas, indigenous varieties popping up, you know, hot discussions uh, in in the areas on on styles, on new regulations and on appellations, on, um, you know, crew definitions, whatever. So we had a lot of topics focusing actually on, on Italy, Italy in, in, in recent years, I would say. Yeah, it's interesting because both Italy, uh, you know that I'm into organics and things like that, but both Italy and Austria are leaders in, uh, in that particular field. And uh, Austria has got a very, <laughs> comes across as a very well-regulated country, and, and Italy is kind of often, um, you're living in chaos. Uh, but from both countries come, uh, in my view, my, certainly my favourite wines on the planet uh, for totally different reasons. So uh, obviously your students are getting a lot of stimulation. I mean, in terms of in terms of their love of Italy or their interest in Italy, why do you think they're attracted to that? Is it because they love the idea of all these um, native grape varieties, or is it just the culture there, or just Italy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is all along these lines. You know, there is a natural vicinity, uh, not only geographically, but also kind of you know. As a, as a holiday destination, everybody has been with his parents as a kid in Italy on, on the sea. You know, Italian way of life, Italian cuisine, Italian sort of take it easy. So this is something which is extremely attractive in Austria as well. And also in terms of wine, sort of Italian wine is to most Austrian much closer than, say, French wine. Uh, they have been there, they have visited Piemonte, they have seen Tuscany, they've been to Firenze, they've traveled further down to, to south. And so by a normal thing, you know, they, you sort of uh, 
develop uh, a relationship with an area, and especially once you've been there and, and sort of indulged the area, you get sort of hooked up on this. And, and so you find a lot of Austrians who regularly travel to Italy because they just enjoy the whole concept of, 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 of food and wine in Italy. So this is one of the main reasons. And, of course, then this uh, exciting development in, in recent years, you saw, you know, the kind of image of the of the Antinoris, of, of, of Gaias, and I mean, they are they're superstars uh, very much so in Austria. We, we had the pleasure of having them over here at the Academy for master classes. And, uh, I mean, people just, you know, uh, they love them. Um, so there is also in, in a kind of, uh, I would say, well, the Germans, put it this way, the Germans always call us in Austria, well, you're almost a little bit like almost Italian, you know, you're more relaxed, your food is better than ours, etc., etc. So there is a, a vicinity also in culture, I would say, from this side. What are your favorite places in Italy? If I give you a free ticket to go anywhere you, anywhere you want in Italy, either for the food or for the wine or for the landscape, what are your favorite places? Um, sorry for being boring, but when I sit in front of Duomo in Florence, you know, it's just... Uh, Wow. <laughs> so Florence is, is really something uh, where I would like to go to quite often, as I do. Okay. And, and you go there, is that on business or for pleasure or both? Both, <laughs> which is a nice, nice thing of it, as we have for the past five years, a very good cooperation um, into Italy, where we offer also parts of our WSET diploma program in Italy, in Florence, in Palazzo Antinori. So Piero Antinori is, um, I may call him an old friend of mine. I've actually met him 35 years ago in South Africa, first time. And so he was then president of Instituto Grandi Marchi and and another, I may also call him friend of mine, Sandro Boscaini, whom I've also known for close to 30 years as a vice president. So we set up then a cooperation where parts of this diploma program is held in Firenze. And uh, also, uh, also following from there, wine trips in, in, in Tuscany, but also then up to, to Veneto and actually final destination being then in Italy and then Opera Wine for these students. So... So this has been a beautiful cooperation for the past uh, years with, with Italy and sort of with a strong focus on Florence. So you um, have the honour of being the first non-UK chairman of the Institute of Masters of Wine. Yes, yes. Um, How proud were you? What, did, what, did, what actually does the job entail? Uh, yeah, I, I, I was then the first Austrian in '98 uh, to, to get the Master of Wine, which was very strongly linked to what I do here with the academies. And from then on, we had very, very, of course, close relation with the Institute I had, and then also institutional. As a few years later, we started offering here the Master of Wine first year course here at the Academy in Rus. So this has been for the past 17 years. So, you know, I organized the Master of Wine Symposium in Vienna in 2002 and was elected on the board. And yeah, then a few years later, yeah, I was asked uh, whether I would be prepared to, you know, to go for chairman. And this was, of course, an enormous honor. And, and uh, I of course, agreed, and with the help of my dear friend Lynn Sheriff, uh, who was then elected vice chairman, I had the honor and pleasure, uh, of course, to 
to run the institute for two years, which is like the period. And yeah, now we've had now three or four non-British chairmen, sort of as another maybe evidence that this institute um, has traveled far from in the beginning being a British institute institution into a real global worldwide uh, institution with, of course, not only masters of wine from around the globe, but also with, uh, with managers and, and, and chairmen, etc. Yeah, I'm going to make a comment here. I mean, from my perspective, having Lynn and you at the helm, uh, it just gave the whole institute a real kick uh, that it needed to be more international and, um, and also to listen to its students better. That's just me seeing things from the outside. So uh, both of you, I think, deserve a huge amount of credit for what you did and what you still do for bringing the Institute um, up to where, where, it, where it is now. And uh, a fantastic achievement for you to do that and to do it also with great distinction and also great tact because it's not always easy <laughs> doing things like that. So well done, you. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate this. Have you, what are you, what's your, um, your, your next big task before we say goodbye to each other? Uh, what's your burning ambition at the moment? To get all the shit done now <laughs> in these difficult times, you know. Um, very much what we do in education, I fully concentrate on seminars that are held live, not on online. Education, I think we can do... Those things, sort of these uh, seminars we're running here, we're running in Italy or Germany in Switzerland, yeah, better than others. And that's why people from around the globe come here and do it. But of course, at the moment, they cannot come here from around the globe. And so we try to come up with plans, with ways how we still can do things also in these difficult times. And uh, interna- internationalization is, is definitely something I want to see more than we have here it's so enriching for everybody you know to to meet together it's not only the courses people sitting in there it's what happens after that meeting between nationalities who actually should not be best friends from ukraine and russia from serbia and croatia you name it and and wine sort of uh, is sort of the element that brings everybody together and uh, they go home as big friends friends for life and to see this happening through wine is something I want to see more of in the future. And, and I hope that we can be back to normal very soon to really celebrate the world of wine together internationally well. So actually expecting a master of wine group again in January at this stage. We don't know whether we can have them with all the restrictions. But I must say that this was also the reason for the success of Austrian wine, I would argue that our producers went out into the world with open eyes and, and prepared really to, yeah, to indulge uh, knowledge, to, to find their place in this world of wine. And this is so, so important as it is for us as an academy. Yeah. Well, well done for everything that you're doing on the educational level and also on the behind the scenes level. Um, I just want to say thanks very much to you, Bepe. We've probably covered 5% of what you've achieved. Fortunately for you, you will be invited back to do another podcast uh, in the near future, hopefully when the COVID situation dies down. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. You're a wonderful speaker, a wonderful educator, and a great student as well. And well done um, for everything that you do. And thanks for coming on the Italian Wine Podcast. 
Thank you. Yeah, okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Monty, for having me. And uh, looking forward to, to be back. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.